And so the First Minister momentarily dropped her guard and her mask as she left a funeral in Edinburgh. She's kicked herself, apologised and the opposition leaders have said nothing. It's 2020. There is no naughty list this year. The Lib Dems warn Scottish independence is Brexit 2, the sequel. Tighter restrictions nationwide as Covid continues its grip. And coming home, the Stone of Schoon returns to Perthshire. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Hollywood. There will be no a palisade of tariffs on January the 1st, and there'll be no non-tariff barriers to, to trade. Uh, instead, there will be a giant free trade zone of which we will at once be a member and at the same time be able to do our own free trade deals as one UK, whole and entire, England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, together. And I should stress this deal was done by a huge negotiating team from every part of the UK and it will benefit every part of our United Kingdom, helping to unite and level up across the country. And so I say again uh, directly to our EU friends and partners, I think this deal means a new stability and a new uh, certainty in what has sometimes been a fractious and difficult relationship. We will be your friend, your ally, your supporter, and indeed, never let it be forgotten, your number one market. Because although we have left the EU, this country will remain culturally, emotionally, historically, strategically, geologically attached to Europe. Martin Ba, Fiskama, first to the story that's been running for four and a half years. The UK Prime Minister and the President of the European Commission are pleased to announce in this season of goodwill the birth of a deal. Boris Johnson and Ursula von der Leyen have crafted a divorce settlement that will allow the former partners to work and trade together. The barriers to that trade will be larger, greater than we had as part of the family of 28 nations in a united Europe. It's a catastrophe for Scotland's seed potato farmers. They're left out of the deal, effectively closing their crucial Mediterranean market. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon says it's a disastrous Brexit outcome for Scottish farmers and, like all other aspects of Brexit, foisted on Scotland against her will. The finer details will become clearer over the coming days. For now, here's Channel 4 News with what we know. Inside number 10 last night, a Prime Minister perhaps burning the midnight oil, desperate to deliver an early Christmas present, a free trade deal with the EU, and personally salvage something from a year in which his leadership has been questioned. We await announcement there's finally agreement on our trading and security relationship with our nearest neighbours after phone calls between Boris Johnson and the EU chief Ursula von der Leyen. Both have had to compromise to land a deal, On fish, it looks like Britain will accept the phased return of a proportion of its fishing quota over five and a bit years, but keep access to EU markets to sell fish. But the EU fishermen will have to give up their share of the British catch more quickly than they'd have liked. On the so-called level playing field the EU demanded for access to its market, it seems the UK's agreed that if it strays from EU standards, there'll be some kind of rebalancing perhaps adjudicated by an independent referee. But the government will hope people who voted leave and Brexiteers on the Conservative backbenches will take this as a win and the delivery of a much-repeated promise. I want a better deal for the people of this country, to save them money and to take back control. That's really, I think, what this is all Uh, This is all about. Only a few weeks ago, Boris Johnson was saying a free trade agreement was highly unlikely, that a deal would be very hard won. Labour's relieved we appear to have got a deal, but says it will be thin for the UK. 
I have no doubt in my mind at all that Parliament will vote for the deal, but it doesn't take away from the fact that this is the first trade negotiation we've ever done where we've ended up erecting barriers and creating more red tape and cost for our businesses because that's what we're facing. It's been a long goodbye. Ten painful months of negotiating how to move on for years after the UK voted to leave the EU. Britain's place in Europe has divided the Conservative Party for decades and did for two Prime Ministers. Thank you very much. David Cameron hoped giving the people an in-out referendum on EU membership would settle the argument once and for all. He didn't reckon on a win for vote leave. Theresa May's withdrawal agreement was rejected by MPs and she stood down saying she couldn't deliver Brexit. A deal delivered by Boris Johnson will have to be agreed by every EU member state and approved by MPs here. Parliament's set to be recalled next week. People will continue to be divided over Brexit. For some, will still be too close to the EU. For others, not close enough. But businesses who feel they've been preparing in the dark will at least know soon what the new era involves. This all began when the former UK Prime Minister David Cameron called a referendum on our future in the EU. He was playing to the gallery of his Conservative Party, or at least large sections of it, who've never wanted to be part of the EU project. David Cameron perhaps thought the UK would vote to remain. In fact, England and Wales voted to leave. Scotland and Northern Ireland voted to stay in the EU, but as it was an overall UK vote, we're out. That includes losing our right to freedom of movement and the loss of our European citizenship. Scotland's Constitutional Secretary, Mike Russell, says there's no such thing as a good Brexit and an independent Scotland will seek to rejoin the EU. Meantime, the Scottish Parliament has voted to maintain links to the continent by aligning Scots law with EU law. The Lib Dems are branding Scottish independence, Brexit to the sequel. Their leader, Willie Rennie, is claiming the chaos we've seen at Dover this week is a guide to what happens when you leave a political union. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, counters Willie Rennie is simply replacing Scotland's missing pantomimes with his theatrical claims. Mr Rennie may well respond, Oh no, I'm not. We've had a glimpse in the last 48 hours at Dover of what happens when you break an economic partnership. Yet the First Minister wants to repeat the same mistakes by this time next year with her referendum. I know that Christmas is a time for sequels, but we have now seen what Brexit 1 is like. Yet the First Minister still wants Brexit 2, the breakup of another economic union. Why does the First Minister want another breakup by next Christmas? First Minister. What I would say to Willie Rennie is this. The only reason right now we are faced with the prospect of a no-deal Brexit in Scotland is because we are not independent and it has been foisted upon us against our will. Independence is not the same as Brexit. Independence would see Scotland joining other independent countries in the European Union, working together where we need to, including on matters like COVID and charting our own future. Um, And that uh, prospect of charting our own future, uh, being responsible, yes, at times for our own mistakes, uh, but building our own success and prosperity instead instead of having our future foisted upon us by the likes of Boris Johnson and his band of Brexiteers. It's that positive prospect of being in charge of our own future presiding officer that sees now a sustained majority of the Scottish population supporting Scotland becoming a normal, equal, independent country. But at the weekend, the First Minister said it would be unconscionable to carry on with Brexit in the middle of a global pandemic, oblivious to the irony that she plans to hold an independence referendum in the middle of a global pandemic. I want the crisis to stop. Her plans would add to it. I think we should put the recovery first. The young people who need work, the businesses who are on their knees, the climate 
which is in a state of emergency. The people waiting ages for mental health treatment and the pupils who deserve a better education. We need to put them first. Now, I know the First Minister has supported independence all of her political life, but holding an independence referendum now, in the midst of one of the worst health and economic crisis this country has ever seen, is not the right thing to do. Surely she can see that. First Minister. Actually, I've worked out what Willie Rennie is up to today. He's realised that people are really missing pantomimes, so he's decided to provide one all of his own. It's, it's actually a public service. Um, where, where to start? Firstly, let, let us not lose the, the irony of the situation, because actually the Liberal Democrats are now a pro-Brexit party. They've actually given up on their opposition to Brexit. Uh, I still think Brexit is a mistake. Secondly, um, and I'm sure it hasn't escaped Willie Rennie's notice, I'm not planning an independence referendum right now. Um, in fact, I put planning for an independence referendum on hold when the global pandemic struck. If only Boris Johnson had put planning for Brexit on hold when the global pandemic struck. I'm not planning to have a referendum while we're in the midst of a global pandemic because my focus is on leading the country through the pandemic. But you know what? As we start to recover from this pandemic, as all of us across the world start to ask ourselves, what kind of countries, what kind of societies do we want to live in? I want the people of Scotland to be in charge of answering that question, not the likes of Boris Johnson. That's why becoming an independent country is so essential to making sure we build the Scotland we know is possible as we come out of this COVID crisis. Mainland Scotland is plunging into the highest level of restrictions, Tier 4, as the COVID crisis continues its grip across the planet. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon signalled the change in an emergency broadcast earlier in the week. Now, as you can imagine, the fact that I am speaking to you at 5.30pm on the Saturday before Christmas, having just chaired an emergency meeting of my Cabinet and spoken to the leaders of the opposition parties, suggests a serious situation and it also suggests a situation that necessitates action. The information that I and my cabinet have received today about the new variant of the COVID virus uh, that has been identified in the UK suggests to me that we do now face a very serious situation. It is, in fact, probably the most serious and potentially dangerous juncture we have faced since the start of the COVID pandemic in February and March. And that means we have to take this seriously and it means that we have to act accordingly and appropriately. But the upside is that if we do act now and if we act firmly now, we can prevent that serious situation materialising. And the advantage that we have in Scotland, uh, unlike some other parts of the UK right now, is that we still do have the chance to act on a preventative basis. It is also the case that the situation in Scotland right now at this moment in time is not as severe as it is in other parts of the UK. So all things being equal, while we had no room for complacency, we had hoped that we might get through the next few weeks, at least in many parts of the country, without significantly more severe restrictions being necessary. Unfortunately, as is so often the case with this virus, all things are not proving to be equal. Last week it was confirmed that a new variant of the virus had been identified in the UK and on Tuesday I advised Parliament that a small number of cases of that new strain had already been identified in Scotland. Now over last night and today the governments of the four nations across the UK have received further scientific briefing on the impact of this new strain. Now firstly it's very important for me to be clear that at this stage there is no evidence to suggest that this new strain of the virus causes more severe illness. And there is no evidence at this stage to suggest that the new strain will affect the effectiveness of the vaccines that are being developed or indeed the vaccine that is currently in use in Scotland. And all of that is reassuring, although further analysis is underway. However, there is strong 
evidence now that the new strain is spreading substantially and significantly more quickly than the strains of the virus that we have been dealing with up to now. And that evidence suggests that it could be up to 70% more transmissible than previous strains of the virus. And it may increase the R number uh, by up to 0.4. Standing here saying this um, uh, actually it makes me want to cry, as I'm sure listening to it will make many of you want to cry, because I know how harsh this sounds. Um, I know how unfair it is. But this virus is unfair. It doesn't care about Christmas. It doesn't care about anything other than spreading itself as far and wide as possible. And it has just become, unfortunately, a lot better at doing that. Now, one other point I want to make. If you have caring responsibilities, you can, as has always been the case, still visit somebody else and travel to do that on any day uh, if it is essential to provide care or assistance to a vulnerable person. That will not change. But for everyone else, my message is please stay home and stay safe this Christmas. That is in your own interests and in the interests of everybody you love. Then, in the chamber, a hushed parliament heard her unfold the reality. Restrict now to save lives. The move into Tier 4 for almost all of us comes as a mutant strain of COVID-19 goes on the attack. It can transmit and get passed on much more easily and quickly than the mother virus. That's why we're being told to stay local and stay at home if we can. The very rapid spread in London and the South East serves as a warning of what we could face here if we do not take firm action to suppress the virus. We have a real concern that without significant countermeasures, we could be facing another period of exponential growth as we enter the new year. That would mean many more people catching COVID, and even without this new strain causing more severe illness, that would result in many more people needing hospital and intensive care treatment, and that would put an enormous strain on the NHS, and of course it would also lead to much more loss of life. To be blunt, presiding officer, that is what we have to act now to stop. Now, in an ideal world, it would be good to wait a few weeks until preliminary analysis becomes more concrete and confidence intervals narrow. But if the concerns we have now prove to be well-founded, it would by then be too late. We have learned uh, that we must act firmly in the face of this virus. And that is why we announced significant additional measures on Saturday. I know how tough these are, but we believe they are essential to avoid an extremely serious deterioration in the situation as we move into the new year. Let me recap now on what those measures are. Uh, firstly, Orkney, Shetland, the Western Isles and the other relatively remote islands that have seen restrictions relaxed in recent weeks will move to level three from one minute past midnight on Boxing Day. However, the rest of Scotland will move at that point to level four for a period of three weeks. Uh, there will be a review after two weeks. This means, for example, that hospitality will require to close with the exception of takeaway services and so too will non-essential retail. Now, there are three further points that I think it is important for me to make today about level four restrictions. Firstly, given the severity of the situation we face and the need to limit interactions as much as possible, we intend to define essential retail more narrowly than we have done recently. In short, that means homeware stores and garden centres will be classed as non-essential and will therefore require to close with the exception of click and collect. Second, in Level 3 and Level 4, the law currently prohibits non-essential travel outside your own local authority area. However, for those living in Level 4 areas, which from Saturday will be the vast majority of us, our strong advice is to stay as local as possible and to stay at home as much as possible. And we will be considering in the days ahead whether we need to place that advice in law. And third, and more generally, as more evidence of the impact of this new strain becomes available, we will consider whether there is a need to strengthen Level 4 restrictions any further. Again, I need to be blunt with Parliament and the public. The current Level 4 restrictions are not as stringent as the March lockdown, and that up until now has been a good thing. However, it does seem that we may be facing a virus that spreads much faster now than in March. So we do need to consider whether the current Level 4 restrictions will be sufficient to suppress it in the weeks ahead. 
This will be analysis that the Government undertakes urgently as our understanding of the new strain of the virus develops, and I will, of course, keep Parliament updated as necessary, including over the recess period, if that is necessary. The second decision we took on Saturday was to maintain the current ban on travel to and from Scotland and the rest of the UK. Again, this was a decision we did not take lightly. But as we seek to suppress this new strain here in Scotland, we must also guard against importing more of it from areas where it is already circulating more widely. This travel ban will therefore remain in place right throughout the festive period, including, unfortunately, on Christmas Day. And as the Chief Constable has set out, the police will be enhancing their enforcement of it. We also regrettably tightened other restrictions for the Christmas period. It is now possible to meet in a bubble of up to eight people from three households on Christmas Day only and within Scotland only, rather than over a five-day period across the UK. However, our strong advice remains not to meet indoors at all, if possible. When it comes to indoor celebrations this year, by far the safest option is to stay in your own house with your own household. If you do plan to see people from other households on Christmas Day, please try to stay outdoors if you can. But if you are indoors, please keep the numbers as low and the duration as short as possible. Keep a safe distance uh, as far as possible. Wash your hands and surfaces regularly and keep windows open. Presiding officer, I can't tell you how sorry I am to be standing here saying these things. And there is no part of me oblivious to the impact of this. I don't just understand that impact. I feel that impact as everybody else does. But this is necessary to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe at this extremely difficult and challenging time. And I want to thank everyone today from the very bottom of my heart for making these sacrifices. The final but extremely significant decision announced on Saturday relates to schools. Keeping schools open has been a priority for the Scottish Government since August and it remains a priority as far as possible. However, these recent developments uh, and all aspects of them mean we need to take a precautionary approach and we also need to give ourselves some time to further assess the situation. As a result, we've taken the very difficult decision, difficult for us to take, but more difficult for young people and parents affected, to delay the start of the new school term. Schools, of course, had been due to reopen from 5th January onwards. Now they will reopen from 5th January for children of key workers and for particularly vulnerable children only. Uh, local authorities identified key workers at an earlier stage in the pandemic and updated guidance was published last night. For all other pupils, the school term will start on 11th January. However, the first week of term at least will take place online. At this stage, our intention is that schools will get back to normal from the 18th of January. But of course, we will require to keep this under review. Presiding officer, I know all of these measures are harsh and they are extremely difficult for individuals and for businesses. For so many businesses, I know that these announcements represent a horrible end to a terrible year. Financial support will remain available for businesses affected and the Finance Secretary is urgently assessing what more the Scottish Government can do, particularly for the sectors most acutely affected. Now to the party leaders and in this sequence from the Chamber, the First Minister reveals she is, perhaps like many of us, overtired. Nicola Sturgeon also says words almost fail her in her response to comments from Labour leader Richard Leonard. We begin with Ruth Davidson for the Conservative Group here at Holyrood. Thank you, Presiding Officer. This week's news has undeniably been a setback when we thought a corner had been turned in the fight against this virus. The promise of a vaccine and the chance to see loved ones again, even only for a brief time over Christmas, gave people real hope for a respite. And it seems doubly cruel to have plans snatched away from them, even if they understand why. And most people do. They understand the need to make sacrifices to suppress this new strain, but in return, they are demanding as much clarity from this government as is conceivably possible. The national Tier 4 lockdown scheduled for Boxing Day will have come as an even greater shock to those people in Tiers 1 and 2 who had no previous indication that they'd be facing the most severe restrictions seen since March. They are asking whether the tier system has now been abandoned for good or whether we can expect a return to more localised restrictions, and if so, when. And parents everywhere now scrambling to cancel Christmas plans and find ways to balance work and childcare well into the new year need clarity on exactly what is expected of them now the return to schools and nurseries has been suspended until the 18th. This doesn't just impact on their family life, it affects their ability to work and pay the bills. 
People accept that there is much about this new strain that we don't yet know, but they are growing weary of seeing supposedly time-limited fire breaks stretching into months. They will be rightly concerned to have just heard the First Minister say that the 18th January return date is under review. So can the First Minister give parents at home an idea of how likely it will be that children will return to classrooms from the 18th of January, or do they need to start preparing now for a long haul of blended learning at home? First Minister. I will do as I have tried to do every day over the past 10 months, and that is give people as much clarity as I possibly can. I will do that every day over the Christmas and New Year period if that is what is necessary and there are updates I can uh, reasonably give to people. But I've also tried to be frank. Uh, we are dealing with a virus that we have always known to be unpredictable, but we have discovered just in the last few days how unpredictable it can be. We do not yet understand everything about this new strain. Uh, we have scientists literally as we speak trying to understand uh, to what extent it is more transmissible, to understand who uh, it may be more likely to transmit to, um, and to understand and hopefully be able to confirm beyond any doubt that it doesn't cause more severe illness or, and that it will not undermine vaccines or treatments. Uh, so over the, the days to come, and literally over the days to come, uh, I think we will learn more about this. The other thing we've got to give ourselves assurance of over the ne this next period is that the restrictions and measures we have in place are sufficient to suppress it. Uh, it took a really strict lockdown uh, earlier in the year to get the R number back uh, below one. It got to about uh, 0.6. Um, and we face a situation now where R is around one again, lower in Scotland than it is in uh, some other parts of the UK. Uh, and we have a, a virus that is transmitting more quickly and may in itself add 0.4 to R. That shows the scale of the challenge we've got. So we have to give our ourselves time to know that we are taking the right actions to suppress it. Um, we will learn more and I will share as much as we know with the public as openly as possible. Uh, on the two specific points, I know how... Uh, devastating it would have been for everybody on Saturday uh, to hear that we were going to level four across most of the country on Saturday. That would have been particularly devastating for those areas in uh, the lower levels. Uh, but it is really important for me to be clear, this is not action that is in response to current rates of prevalence. This is preventative action because we see a train coming rapidly down the track at us and we're trying to get out of its way. That's why uh, the whole of mainland Scotland uh, has to go to level four to prevent what we think uh, will be a rapidly deteriorating situation. Um, and lastly, on education and childcare, we will, if it is at all possible, get schools back open again on the 18th of January. Uh, that has been a priority. It continues to be a priority for all the reasons we understand and I think all of us agree on. And if that means uh, the rest of us living under more severe restrictions, then we will not shy away from saying that as well. But we have to give ourselves the time to understand this virus a little bit more. One of the things that the scientists are exploring right now is whether this virus is uh, transmitting more easily to young people. Now, there, are, uh, there is no consensus on that right now and there is uh, no definitive conclusion on that, but it is one of the things that is currently being explored uh, by the scientific community. Uh, so we will do everything we can to get the whole country back to normal as quickly as possible. But this next period, uh, it is really important that all of us uh, really do do all of these things to help bring that about. And as I say, I will keep the country updated as far as possible right throughout the Christmas period. I call on Richard Leonard. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. It's clear that the Government's strategic framework, launched less than two months ago, was at the weekend abandoned. The decision to move every part of mainland Scotland to level four from Boxing Day for an indefinite period, meaning the closure of all hospitality, all pubs and restaurants, all non-essential retail, all public buildings, all gyms, all indoor tourism attractions, all museums and galleries for an indefinite period is a drastic move. And this time, three weeks does not sound like three weeks, but considerably longer. The First Minister has told us that this is a proportionate public health response given the virulence of the new strain of the virus. So will the First Minister also make a proportionate response in other ways? Will she step up government support for businesses, workers and families across Scotland directly affected by this government decision? Will the government step up levels of support for mental health 
and mental wellbeing services. And if the new strain of the virus is 70% more transmissible than the original virus, will the government urgently increase the number of daily tests carried out in Scotland by 70%, improve the capacity, utilisation and performance of Test and Protect by 70%? And will the First Minister commit today, as soon as it is practically possible, to a 70% acceleration in the rollout of the vaccination programme? First Minister. President Officer, people, I hope people will forgive me. I'm, uh, like many people across the country, probably feeling a bit overtired at the moment, but words almost fail me in response to that. I have to be perfectly honest. Um, firstly, and sorry, I, I should have uh, given this answer partly in relation to Ruth Davidson. We have not abandoned the strategic framework. We will try to get back to uh, a levels approach where we apply levels to different parts of the country depending on the prevalence of the virus as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, so we haven't abandoned our strategic approach. What we have done is not stand there static, clinging to an approach where we've got a train coming down the track that is going to run us over. We've decided to respond to the evidence that we have a new strain of the virus that none of us saw coming, none of us predicted that this would happen right now. Uh, and like uh, all other parts of the UK, like other countries uh, right now, Ireland has just decided uh, stringent new measures, even although they don't yet have identified cases of this virus, we have decided to respond in a preventative precautionary way in order to make sure that by the end of January we don't have a health service that has been overwhelmed, that we, don't, we haven't run out of hospital beds and ICU beds. Instead, we have managed to uh, ward this off and suppress the virus again. And I, I am so sorry that we are having to do this, but I would be even sorrier um, and people would be, uh, have every right to be very, very angry at me if I didn't take this action and let the country just deal with the impact of what is coming down the track at us. So I will continue to try to take the difficult but necessary decisions to keep us as safe as uh, I possibly can. Um, as far as, so yes, we will continue to look at how we step up support. I said in my statement, the Finance Secretary is already urgently looking at business support to see what more we can do. That will be true across a range of responsibilities. In terms of Richard Leonard's final two points, that, I'm afraid, is where words start to fail me. Uh, we have plenty of testing capacity. We are building up our testing capacity. These are not simple equations with a, about a virus being 70% more transmissible, meaning we need 70% more test capacity. Uh, the reason uh, we, I can give some of uh, the detail that I give every day right now is because we are testing so many people and we will continue to make sure we've got that capacity. We're also uh, rolling out lateral flow testing, although one of the things that we need to assure ourselves of is that lateral flow testing is sensitive enough in uh, the face of this new strain. But on the vaccine, uh, we will roll this vaccine out just as quickly as supplies allow us to do. You know, I cannot and... You know, nobody would love more than me to be able to magic vaccine supplies out of nowhere. I cannot do that, unfortunately. So we are working hard to make sure that as soon as the supplies come, we've got the supplies we expected from the Pfizer vaccine this year. Tens of thousands of people have already had their first dose of the vaccine. We're hoping that other vaccines will get approval in the UK shortly. And as soon as those supplies become available, we will get those vaccines to people and get those doses of vaccines into as many arms as we can. But we are dependent on uh, the vaccine developers, uh, the companies, the supply chains allowing us to do that. And I really would hope that Richard Leonard would understand that. I call him Patrick Harvey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I share, of course, the dismay that we all feel at this increasingly dangerous situation. If the new strain is established and growing in Scotland, then it seems clear that much of the country must be prepared to deal with a heightened threat over the months ahead, not just over the weeks ahead. Uh, and there remains, as the First Minister said, an open question about the suggestion that this new strain could be more infectious to children and young people. The Greens have consistently backed measures to improve safety in schools, and we welcome the announcement of the delay to the new term. We all want to keep schools open, but not at all costs. 
Does the First Minister recognise that many teachers and school staff already feel that their safety has not been prioritised during the pandemic and that at the very least their call for widespread routine testing should be accepted? How does the First Minister respond to the recent EIS comment that moving back to level four should result in the government considering moves toward blended or remote learning? Schools, they say, cannot stay open at all costs. The safety of pupils and staff has to be the priority. And can the First Minister update the Parliament on what action is being taken to protect vulnerable teachers when schools finally do return? First Minister. Um, these are all important um, issues. Firstly, uh, yes, I do accept that many teachers feel as if their safety has not been prioritised. What, what I don't accept is that that is true from the government's perspective. But if teachers feel that, then I recognise and accept that we continue to have work to do to assure and to reassure them, and we will continue to do that. Uh, we are uh, looking at and, and have been and, uh, for the last few weeks and are developing plans uh, for more uh, mass testing in schools uh, in the new year. We are trying to do that sensibly um, and on a, a sustainable basis. Some of the plans that have been set out in other parts of the UK, uh, as we have seen from the reaction of teachers themselves in recent days, perhaps haven't got that sense of deliverability and sustainability, but that is very clearly a part of our thinking. I, I did say earlier on um, in relation to Richard Leonard, and it's worth repeating here, that one of the, at the moment, and I hope this will be clarified in a, a positive way very soon, but at the moment, one of the questions we are seeking to have answered is whether lateral flow uh, testing devices are effective uh, against this new uh, strain of, of the virus. Uh, but teacher safety, pupil safety, the safety of everybody who works in our schools is a priority. And I think uh, that we, ha we have taken public health advice every step of the way. And while I recognise the concerns, I think the fact that we have managed to keep schools open while keeping prevalence of the virus at a lower level than many other uh, areas is uh, a success. But the new development means that we have to be precautionary um, till we learn more about the virus, not least till we learn more about this issue of transmissibility amongst young people. So we will be precautionary um, and we will take great care uh, over the decisions we take. In terms of blended learning, I think it's in the interest of young people to be back in school full-time uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, but uh, you should, uh, of course, hear everything I've just said about precaution and safety. Um, the uh, fact of the matter is it has always been the case that blended learning is there as an option on a school-by-school -school basis if it is uh, required, and that will continue to be the case. We will not compromise uh, or gamble with the safety of teachers uh, and young people, but I think everybody recognises that it is in the interest of young people to be in school full-time, uh, if at all possible, and that's what we want to get back to as quickly as this virus allows. Will you let me? Uh, we appreciate the reasons for the decisions at the weekend. Uh, when the science speaks so starkly, plans do need to change. Will the First Minister be reviewing the range of indicators as we learn more about the new strain of the virus? And on hospitals, at least 135,000 operations were cancelled earlier this year in the lockdown. And we know that for safety reasons, hospitals have limited the number of elective surgery operations since then. But I'm concerned about reports that ever greater numbers of operations have been cancelled, that some hospitals have cancelled all non-urgent procedures, and that some NHS boards are considering following suit. So what can the First Minister tell me more about that? And does she expect more NHS boards will cancel all non-urgent operations in the near future? First Minister. Uh, we were already uh, reviewing the indicators. I think I set that out in my statement last week. So we will continue with that uh, process over uh, the Christmas period. And uh, obviously, we'll come back to Parliament with, with the outcome of that. We were uh, taking the opportunity to review the indicators, but also the, the, the content of each levels. And as I said today, this uh, new development makes it all the more urgent that we look at the content of level four restrictions and whether. Uh, the current restrictions are sufficient. In terms of uh, health board uh, capacity and uh, decisions on elective treatment, we want as much elective treatment to continue. We want to get back to normal in as much of that as possible, and that is a priority. We uh, discussed that uh, at the Cabinet uh, 
meeting that we had earlier today. Uh, but this does depend on our ability to suppress this virus. To put it bluntly, uh, the more patients that require hospital treatment and intensive care treatment for COVID uh, and the more staff uh, that uh, are required to support that. And of course, the, the greater the levels of infection, uh, the more hospital and NHS staff, staff generally are likely to be off sick because like the rest of the population, they are more likely to be having that, then the less able the NHS will be to do uh, normal uh, business. But we are supporting the NHS to get that balance as right as possible. I cannot guarantee that no NHS board or no hospital will have to postpone elective treatment, but we, we are trying to support the NHS through this as much as possible to reduce the backlog of this year and to stop that backlog as far as possible rising any further. But I suppose my closing point here would be a plea to everybody. All of us can help the NHS right now. It goes back to the early part of this pandemic when we all acted in a way that was to protect our NHS. The NHS needs us to do that again. It needs us all in our personal behaviour to do everything we can to suppress this virus. That's what all of us can do to try to keep our NHS safe. You're listening to the Christmas edition of The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. And still to come in this half hour, the Stone of Schoon is coming home to Perthshire. Plus, the First Minister's Christmas message to Scotland's community radio. But first, a reminder again of our main story. Brexit has been settled. There is a deal. Here's the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, from Number 10. It's four and a half years since the British people voted to take back control of their money, their borders, their laws and their waters and to leave the European Union. And earlier this year, we fulfilled that promise and that we left on January the 31st with that oven-ready deal. Since that time, we've been getting on with our agenda, enacting the points-based immigration system that you voted for and that will come into force on January the 1st, doing free trade deals with 58 countries around the world, and preparing the new relationship with the EU. And there have been plenty of people who have told us that the challenges of the COVID pandemic have made this work impossible, and that we should extend the transition period and incur yet more delay. And I've rejected that approach precisely because beating COVID is our number one national priority. And I wanted to end any extra uncertainty and to give this country the best possible chance of bouncing back strongly next year. And so I'm very pleased to tell you uh, this afternoon uh, that we have completed the biggest trade deal yet, worth £660 billion a year, a comprehensive Canada-style free trade deal between the UK and the EU, a deal that will protect jobs across this country, a deal that will allow goods, UK goods and components to be sold uh, without tariffs and without quotas uh, in the EU market, a deal which will, if anything, allow our companies and our exporters to do even more business with our European friends, and yet, which achieves something that the people of this country instinctively knew was doable, but which they were told was impossible. We've taken back control of our laws and our destiny. We've taken back control of every jot and tittle of our regulation in a way that is complete and unfettered. From January the 1st, we are outside the customs union and outside the single market. British laws will be made solely by the British Parliament, interpreted by UK judge judges sitting in UK courts, and the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice will come to an end. We will be able to set our own standards, to innovate in the way that we want, to originate new frameworks for the sectors in which this country leads the world, from biosciences to financial services, artificial intelligence and beyond. We'll be able to decide how and where we're going to stimulate new jobs and new hope uh, with free ports, new green industrial zones. We'll be able to cherish our landscape and our environment in the way we choose, backing our farmers, backing British food and agricultural production. And for the first time since 1973, we will be an independent coastal state with full control of our waters, uh, with the UK's share of fish 
in our waters, rising substantially from roughly half today to closer to two-thirds in five and a half years' time, after which there is no theoretical limit beyond those placed by science or conservation on the quantity of our own fish that we can fish in our waters. And to get ready for, those, uh, for that moment, uh, those fishing communities will be helped with a big £100 million pro pound programme to modernise their fleets and the fish processing uh, industry. And I want to stress that uh, although, of course, uh, the, the arguments with our European friends and partners were, uh, were sometimes uh, fierce, this, this is, I believe, a good deal for the whole of, uh, of Europe uh, and uh, for, uh, for our friends and partners as well. Because it will not be a bad thing, in my view, for the EU to have a prosperous and dynamic uh, and contented UK on your doorstep. And it will be a good thing. Uh, it, will be, it will drive jobs and prosperity across the whole continent. And I don't think it would be a bad thing if we in the UK do things differently or take a different approach uh, to legislation. Because in so many ways, our basic goals are the same. And uh, in the context of this giant free trade zone that we're jointly creating, the stimulus of regulatory competition will, I think, benefit us both. And if one side believes it's somehow being unfairly undercut by the other, then subject to independent third-party arbitration and provided the measures are proportionate, we can, either of us, decide as sovereign equals to protect our consumers or businesses. But this treaty explicitly envisages that such action should only happen infrequently. And the concepts of uniformity and harmonisation are banished in favour of mutual respect and mutual recognition and free trade. This agreement, this deal, above all, means certainty. It means certainty for the aviation industry and the hauliers who have suffered so much in the COVID pandemic. It means certainty for the police and border forces, the security services, all those we rely on across Europe to keep us all safe. It means certainty for our scientists who will be able to work together and continue to work together on great collective projects because although we want in the UK to be a science superpower, we also want to be a, a collaborative science superpower. And above all, it means certainty for business. Uh, from uh, financial services to our world-leading manufacturers, our, our car industry, uh, certainty uh, for all those uh, who are working in high-skilled jobs uh, and uh, in firms and uh, factories across the whole, the whole country. Because there will be no uh, palisade of tariffs on January the 1st, and there will be no non-tariff barriers to, to trade. Uh, instead, there will be a giant free trade zone of which we will at once be a member and at the same time be able to do our own free trade deals as one UK whole and entire England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, together. The Stone of Destiny is set to return to Persia. Also known as the Stone of Schoon, it'll become the centrepiece of a new £26.5 million museum in Perth. Persia North MSP and Deputy First Minister John Swinney says he's absolutely delighted with the news. He's campaigned for 25 years to have the stone return to Persia. The sandstone block was originally kept at Schoon Abbey and used for the crowning of Scotland's kings. It was seized by England's King Edward I in 1296. The stone was formally returned to Scotland in 1996 and is currently on display at Edinburgh Castle. However, on Christmas Day 1950, a group of four Scottish students took it from Westminster Abbey, sparking a nationwide hunt. The man who led the daring raid, Ian Hamilton, describes his group's capture of the Stone of Destiny as liberation. But having taken it, what were they going to do with it? Here's Ian Hamilton speaking in 2013. We were in a fix. What do you do with your country's regalia when it's in your possession? 
and you don't know. We believed that the time has, had come to deliver it up, but we had no one to deliver it to. We chose Arbroath because it was in Arbroath in 1320 that the Scottish nation affirmed its, its nationality again by sending a letter to the Pope, who was the United Nations of these of the time. And it contains these remarkable ones. For we fight not for glory, not for riches, not for honours, but only and alone for freedom, which no good man gives up, but with life itself. And we thought that our broth, with these words in our ears, was the appropriate place to deliver the stone of destiny up to the Scottish nation. Before we go, the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, with a Christmas message for you. I want to wish all of you a very happy Christmas. In doing so, I know that for many people, for example, our emergency services and armed forces, Christmas is not a holiday at all. And for many health and care workers, it will be another working day at the end of an exhausting year. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you. The entire country is so grateful for the dedication, expertise and compassion you have shown us this year. I also want to acknowledge that for all of us, this will be a Christmas like no other. As has been the case for so much of this year, the way in which we will show our love for each other is by keeping apart, keeping our distance from each other. And please know, above all, that future Christmases will not be like this. Hopefully, this time next year, we'll all be looking forward to a much more normal celebration. Christmas can also, of course, be very tough for people who live on their own or for the less fortunate in our society. That's true every year, but that is even more so this year. That's why, if we can, even as we stay apart, we should also reach out to others. Almost all of us will be in touch with our loved ones by speaking on the phone, sending cards or catching up online. And many people are giving support and help to those who most need it. Thank you so much to everyone who is doing that. One of the brighter spots of 2020, in an otherwise very dark and difficult year, is the way in which people have helped each other through this pandemic with kindness, compassion and love. I hope that by holding these values in our hearts this Christmas, even in this most difficult of times, we can all find some much needed festive cheer. So I want to wish all of you all the very best for Christmas. I wish you a happy, healthy, peaceful Christmas and most of all, a much brighter new year. Happy Christmas. And that's The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. <laughs>